Hey, what's going on, all you potheads out there? No, recovering potheads, I don't know what to call you, but hey, it's Jonah, coming at you from the beach, topsail, North Carolina. Pretty crazy, if you're down here, give me a shout out, shoot me an email, quittingmarijuanapodcast at gmail.com, we can actually meet face to face, shake your hand, have a little eye contact. The eye contact thing has been crazy for me lately. I have been looking at people and literally seeing their insides. And I would say the hardest thing about eye contact is that they also get to see my insides, so they know when I'm full of bullshit. Uh, anyway, it's just something I'm trying to figure out, something I'm trying to work on. If I sound a little different right now, number one, is because I was swimming in the ocean, and uh, number two, it's because, uh, you know, same thing as the previous episode, recording this on my laptop, don't have all my fancy microphones and stuff, sometimes I bring a headset, that did not happen this time, again, I had planned on just smoking like a chimney, so I wasn't prepared for podcasting uh, when I left my home state, but so we go. Speaking of the beach, speaking of swimming, I gotta tell you guys, it's one of the most important things you can do for your kid. I'm a kindergarten teacher, I'm an elementary school teacher, and the number of children who are afraid of water is terrifying. Yes, I am terrified of people being afraid. Listen, there's only so many things, there's only so much of this planet to go around. And if there are certain parts of it that people are afraid of, timid of, they don't go in and experience it. And if they don't go in and experience it, then they can never appreciate it. We have got to start conserving our planet Earth. And I have a degree in environmental biology, and I'm not going to go out here and tell you, oh, Al Gore is great. Fuck no. I hate all of this. Goddamn. What do you, excuse me, I should not be cursing with the Lord's name in vain. I've been trying to work on the Ten Commandments, and that is one of them that I butcher constantly. In fact, the first five are what's the most difficult. But I digress. I am not all about this climate change, CO2 emissions nonsense, okay? I think that there is an agenda there. I think that big business is lining its pockets just like any other opportunity that presents itself. Um, but I do think that the climate is changing. Uh, I do think that the storms are getting more severe, the droughts are getting more pronounced, and those are all very bad things. Uh, however, I personally believe that it's a lack of transpiration. Yes, you heard me, transpiration. As plants respirate and that water comes out of them, you know, one of the survival techniques, if you're lost in the wilderness, and you have no water, is you dig a little hole and you take a piece of plastic. Because why wouldn't you have plastic, right? I mean, we're, we're talking hypothetical here, but anyway, let's say you got a tarp for your tent. Okay, maybe that's where you get your plastic from. Or you got a plastic sandwich bag that doesn't have a sandwich in it anymore. So you dig a little hole and you fill it with vegetation. You lay your plastic over the top, put a little rock in the very center of it so that it creates a cone. Now, as the moisture is coming out of those plants getting cooked by the sun, it gathers on the plastic and it drips down to the rock, the tip of the cone, and boom, into a little can or some sort of collecting device that you have down at the bottom of the hole. Pretty cool, right? Learned that in Wilderness Survival way, way back. Well, fast forward to last week spreading plastic out in my yard because I've been working on my kitchen for the past five weeks. And when you leave that plastic out there, boom, the underside gets wet. Well, here's the thing. This vegetation isn't all broken up and dead. This vegetation is alive. Well, the, I believe it's the stomas, all right? The stomas are like the, the, the organelles that open and close on a leaf, and they let H2O out. And the reason a plant doesn't have 50 million stomas is because it would eventually dry out. It can't do it. So anyway, if you think about all the parking lots, all of the buildings, all of the skyscrapers, all of the roads, and then take it to a whole other level. I mean, because that's all bad, right? Like, we know hard surfaces, uh, you know, no plants are growing, no water is being collected, it's all being run off. Here's the thing. You look at modern industrial agriculture, look at those fields. We got a problem. How much dirt can you see? 
how many exposed surfaces are there. It, the, the earth is just getting cooked, it's getting baked. And they come through and they rake it through with the plow, they rake it through with the combine, whatever they do, they disc it all up, and bam, all that moisture gets sucked out. All you've got now is just inorganic matter and nothing, nothing is being sucked out of the soil, nothing is being slowly released into the atmosphere. And all of a sudden now, the precipitation is all out of whack. Well, go figure. If you can see it so pronounced in a micro scale, how do you think it's happening on the macro scale? And especially when you think about the whole planet and you think about the rainforest and the de deforestation that's happening down there. So anyway, I'm getting carried away. I've definitely had some simple, carb simple carbohydrates, as you can tell. I'm wound up, spun up. Uh, you know, I got a bunch of sun, so I think that's part of it, too. I talked to a guy for one of my old podcasts, and he talked about uh, photobiomodulation and the effect that sunlight has on our electron trains. And one of the important things about it's like a sphinx pose, apparently. Like, you got to go out. I was just listening to a podcast with Joe Rogan and, uh, ch -ch -ch. I don't know, the brainiac there who went and trained with Cameron Haynes as well, neuro neuroscientist. And he talked about getting as much sunlight as possible immediately after you wake up and how important that is for the rest of your day. So I have had a fuck ton of sunlight. I've had a fuck ton of simple carbs. And, okay, I admit, I admit, I also had a small drink. So, woo, okay, you got me. But it's only 3.39, and uh, we're doing pretty well. Doing pretty gosh darn well. Uh, I did pull up one Bible verse because I was listening to, if you listened to the previous episode, I had that sermon, and then he talked about uh, Philippians. And so here it is. I did find it. It's uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And I don't know, the way the pastor had worded it, it made me think about the idea that you know God's uh, good tidings and God's pleasure or his view of what is pleasure for us is so far beyond what we can comprehend and so awesome, you know, then why are we so worried about fulfilling our own our own superficial needs, our own superficial wants? And anyway, when I look at the notes down here in this version, work out your salvation. So that can be explained as not working for it, but work it out in the personal and church problems. And then verses 13, uh, it indicates that we do not work alone, and that also we experience His working in us as we work for Him. And so I'm, I'm going to take that as the fact that God blesses those uh, who, you know, who put the work in. I guess you can't earn your way to heaven, but as you put God first and as you do good things, like you have to trust that uh, He will take care of it, and that you know, he may bless you in ways you can't possibly imagine. You know, I feel like I have heard people, maybe it was a Dave Ramsey, he's been blessed in ways he couldn't imagine. Um, so anyway, I'm going to hold true to that. I'm, I'm going to hold true to the fact that, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day, that it's going to take a long time, but that there are good things at the end of this fight. And I really appreciate you guys reaching out. I got, must be six or seven messages here in the past month and a half, and uh, I just got one today. Perhaps this uh, gentleman had listened to... Uh, my most recent podcast, I'm not 100% sure, but I want to start with him just because it was so goddamn heart-wrenching, uh, because it, it, you know, it's me. It's me in many ways, and maybe you can find a, a little piece of, of truth in this, or, or it will resonate with you as well, um, but it was just sad because uh, I could understand it, I guess. That's what, that's what made it so sad. We, uh, I did not tell you, but one of our, maybe I told you last episode, but one of my coworkers died. 
And it was so tremendously sad for us as a school community because she had had four miscarriages and she desperately wanted a child. And she was 35 years old and she finally you know, was maintaining a pregnancy. And she was going right along and um, this was all going to work out. She was super kind. She taught our 811 program, which is for the kids that just don't fit into the regular classroom. Uh, they get diagnosed as special ed, but when they note what the problem is, they just put a little check mark next to the box that says other, <laughs> you know, because how do you explain a kid that just doesn't want to comply, doesn't want to do what they're told, um, you know, cutting it up, tearing it up all the time, knocking chairs over, screaming and fighting, even the best teachers in the world not getting through to them, at least in that traditional classroom setting. So anyway, she was the teacher for that program, and uh, she's just everything I wasn't, you know what I mean? Everything I wasn't, didn't have a bad thing to say about anybody. And so uh, we, we lost her, and I cried. And I, I cried um, a little bit at home, just teared up. I wouldn't say I cried. I teared up. I was holding it in because I knew that once I cried, that was kind of going to kind of be it. That was going to be my closure. And so um, teachers were getting ready to go to school to kind of be together. There were going to be counselors there and whatnot. And... I got a message from the superintendent telling us that there would be a, a time later in the morning, an official start time, but that people were already trickling in. So I just took off. You know, I was supposed to work on the house that day. And instead, I drove to school that morning. And unfortunately, I was there too early. I don't know why he said that. And it was just filled with administrators, you know, people who might have known her but didn't know her that well. I mean, she was on my grade level team because she had a bunch of kindergartners. Um, she also got to the school when I did, so we were on the same tenure track, you know, we had to go to all these mentor-mentee meetings together. So, you know, I got to know her at least a little bit. And, you know, these guys and gals come up to you, they hug you, they say, oh, I'm so sorry. And it's like, you don't even fucking know her. So I went to the meeting area, nobody was there, another teacher came in, she was sad, but she left almost immediately because I'm, you know, I'm not necessarily known as like the huggy, touchy-feely type. And uh, I didn't want to go in her classroom but it was open, and when I realized I wasn't going to stay, uh, I went to it, and I went inside, and I went over to the corner, and, and I cried. And I said goodbye. And I tell you guys this story because I don't cry about people dying. To me, it's just another chapter. Didn't cry when my grandpa died. Didn't cry when my other grandpa died. Um, never have. Just never have cried. And uh, this time I did. And I don't know if it's because I'm getting a little older, but I, I think what really was what really was the reason was because she died not two days after giving birth. She had a um, what do you call those? The embolisms. She had a, a placental embolism, and boom, just like that. It's like like snuffing out a match. And I cried because <laughs> I'd gotten to know her. I had, and as a you know a hopeful father, as someone whose dream of fatherhood seems to be slipping farther and farther away because of my wife's depression and, and my own poor choices, that makes me sad. That makes me want to cry a little bit, actually. That's why I didn't go into the military, because I wanted a family. But I knew how bad she wanted it. I knew after f four miscarriages in a row, I mean, my God. And also, she was everything I wasn't. You know, she was my, my foil, so to speak. 
And so when I heard that she died, it just, uh, I was very sad. She was on the, the verge of everything she'd ever dreamed of, being happier than she, she ever could have been. She even got a taste of it, and I guess I should be happy about that, that she did get at least one day with the kid that she always wanted to have. But um, that was shitty. That was really, really shitty. And so what I'm saying is when this, this guy emailed me, um, Sean, it, it hits home because uh, cause I kind of understand that too. You know, I understand with Holly, I understood what it was like to to want to have a kid, though not on the same level, of course, as, as a woman. But And uh, with this guy, I, I kind of understand this too. So uh, I'm going to read this message to you guys. Uh, don't know what I want to say. Some comfort knowing other people are going through this too. And I'm struggling, like you. Keep going. This shit has a total hold over us. I feel like I struggle with mental health issues. I'm 36 now. Age 12 to 19, I was very athletic, competing in road cycling to a high level. Then I went to college and studied to a professional degree. Looking back now, I think that sports and academia masked my mental health symptoms. Then after I started smoking, shortly after I started working, ah, man, what a mistake. It gave me so much instant relief from the business of my mind. I do practice meditation now too, but it's... I feel like I'd have to move to Tibet and do it full-time to get anywhere. Um, I started listening to your podcast a few days ago. I've started to cut back, and it's taking its toll on my anxiety already. My usual bag lasts two days, and I'm just finishing it on day five. I don't know what to do now. Do I keep tapering the quantity, or do I go, to, do I go cold turkey? It has to stop. I have been getting panic attacks over the last few years. Atypical panic attacks. I get a bradycardic or a low heart rate, and I go into a deep freeze. Scary shit. So I don't think cold turkey is good, but it has to happen sometime. I'm glad you've decided to quit now. It's robbed me of my life, my family, my finances, everything. But hey, it's just weed, right? Uh, thanks for your effort with the podcast. Um, and uh, he's finding joy in the struggle, not really. And uh, So that's Sean. Sean from the great country of Ireland. So... Hey, Sean, thanks for sharing, man. Um, can definitely relate to that. Seems like it follows the same track that... A similar a similar track, I shouldn't say same. Similar track to kind of me, you know. Being super athletic, grinding, grinding, grinding. Get out in the world, you know, and then uh, all of a sudden you take this puff and you're like, cool, I can kind of unwind finally, my type A personality. And uh, then before you know it, it's like frog in boiling water. It just takes everything from you. So uh, I'm sorry going through that, man, and I guess if I had any... I, I don't have, I, I'm not in a position to give advice, right, because I haven't actually quit, um, quit for good, but I will say that cold, if you can, if you can trickle down, like that, that's not a bad thing, all the psychologists say that you can't trickle down, that you need to go cold turkey, um, but just in terms of managing the withdrawal process, if you're going to do it by yourself instead of going somewhere, I don't think trickling down is such a bad thing, um, now, how, how far do you trickle down? I mean, for me, I was a one-hit Charlie. I still am. You know, if I take a really big toke, I'm, I'm fucked up. And granted, you know, when my tolerance is up, I can take a little more than that. But only you can decide, you know what I mean? Like, if you're getting to the point to where you're at, like, half or a third of your prior usage, like, if you get down to a third of what you were using before, um, you're getting a lot closer to that stopping point. And... Again, like for me, one really big fat one 
and I'd be jacked up. But I guess if you're if you've weaned off to where like you know a nice fully packed bowl and you take one fat rip of that thing, you know you cook the bowl. If you got to that point, I'd say it's time to go cold turkey. I wouldn't try to make smaller and smaller bowls and whittle your way down because then you're gonna start cooking your bowl. You're gonna be getting resin hits and it's gonna be even higher. And um, I, I wouldn't go that route. Definitely not. But um, I'm I'm praying for you, man. I'm, I'm hope, I hope it works out. Uh, it kind of leads me into a quote here. Uh, we got uh, Dr. Phil, Phil McGraw, and this one strikes heavy with me today. Uh, I was thinking about this this morning. Now, you know, again, kind of day one here, right, like embarking on the, on the no-weed thing. And, you know, changing careers or pursuing a new career. I registered. I'm not telling anybody, you guys. The only person who knows is my wife. I'm not even talking to my parents about it. Uh, I'm not going to tell anybody at school. I always do. I always tell people my dreams or what I'm shooting for, for that accountability piece, but, you know, if I was to look back on all the things that I've told people I would do and did did not do, I'd say I'm about 50-50. About half the time, I still don't fucking do it anyway. And so I don't need people shitting on the dream, number one, and I don't need people's approval for the dream, number two. And the fact that I always tell people stuff tells me that it's time to try not telling people stuff. Uh, if I'm doing the same thing all the time, the only way to challenge myself is to try something different. I'm not saying it's the right thing, but I know it's different, and I know it's not a bad thing. So, anyway, Dr. Phil says, uh, My dad used to say, You wouldn't worry so much about what people thought about you if you knew how seldom they did. And uh, what's crazy about it is I've been telling myself that a lot lately. I've been trying to say, like, uh, you're not as important as you think you are. You know, you get out of a meeting with somebody, you're like, man, I fucked that up. I just met with my with a high school principal, a man, trying to ask him about my performance during those uh, principal interview when I was on the interview committee. And I, I kind of went toe-to-toe with my union rep there and called her out on being untrustworthy. And so I asked him, I'm like, man, did I fuck that up? Like, what advice would you give me? It's It's hard getting advice from a woman sometimes, like, just... You know, we're not cut from the same cloth in that way. And he was super positive. Um, it was really good. But, you know, you leave those kind of meetings. And just like I left the interview committee, I'm like, oh, fuck, I shouldn't have said this. Oh, I said that. And now I leave this meeting, the same thing. Oh, fuck, I shouldn't have said this. Wish I hadn't said that. Oh, I hope he's not planning this. I hope he's not telling somebody. It's like, dude, you are such a small fish on somebody else's plate. I mean, think about your own life. Like, how often do you dwell on other people? And... In some ways, I do. I do think about other people, but it's almost always in the context of worrying about what they think about me, uh, not so much like what I think about them. Um, and when I do, granted, if I'm thinking about them, it's usually something destructive, right? Like, that motherfucker, like, if I'm dwelling on them, and that's not good. Uh, but ultimately, if those thoughts are in someone else's head, then I don't have any control over them. So, yeah, that's that's what I that's what I think about that. So... Uh, let's get back into Proverbs here. Enough of me, obviously. Um, don't don't know what I'm talking about. Oh, hey, I ate a bunch of shrimp today, you guys. Caught a bunch of shrimp with shrimp with a cast net. That was pretty cool. Just off the dock right out here back in the sound. And uh, I did my back PT on the beach this morning, and that was kind of interesting, too. So here we go, Proverbs 21. So each of these, by the way, uh, these verses, I don't remember the explained Proverbs before. They're... they're individual thoughts of uh, different people in the Bible. And I I think right now we're into Solomon. So here we are. uh, Chapter 21, verse 1. The king's heart 
is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. Every man's way is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the hearts. To do righteousness and justice is desired by the Lord rather than sacrifice. Haughty eyes and a proud heart, the lamp of the wicked, is sin. The plans of the diligent lead surely to advantage, but everyone who is hasty comes surely to poverty. The acquisition of treasures by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor, the pursuit of death. The violence of the wicked will drag them away, because they refuse to act with justice. The way of a guilty man is crooked, but as for the pure, his conduct is upright. It is better to live in a corner of a roof than in a house shared with a contentious woman. The soul of the wicked desires evil. His neighbor finds no favor in his eyes. When the scoffer is punished, the naive becomes wise. But when the wise is instructed, he receives knowledge. The righteousness one considers, oh, excuse me, the righteous one considers the house of the wicked, turning the wicked to ruin. He who shuts his ear to the cry of the poor will also cry himself and not be answered. A gift in secret subdues anger, and a bribe in the bosom strong wrath. Uh, but I'm sorry, there's a note down here. I kind of glanced down to see if there's any notes. Uh, so this proverb, a gift in secret subdues anger, a bribe in the bosom strong wrath. So the proverb does not promote bribery, but simply states a fact. The word for gift has no negative connotations, whereas bribe does. So bribing someone versus gifting them. Kind of interesting. The exercise of justice is joy for the righteous, but is terror to the workers of iniquity. A man who wanders from the way of understanding will rest in the assembly of the dead. He who loves pleasure will become a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not become rich. The wicked is a ransom for the righteous, and the treacherous is in the place of the upright. Uh, that means the wicked, rather than the righteous, will ultimately suffer judgment. Uh, so here we are, verse 19. It is better to live in a desert land than with a contentious and vexing woman. I gotta tell you guys, I'm trying to figure that verse, that verse out, because it comes all the time. And sometimes I feel like I'm married to a contentious and vexing woman, uh, but probably every man does, so I don't really know what that means. <laughs> um, there is precious treasure and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man swallows it up. He who pursues righteousness and loyalty finds life, righteousness, and honor. A wise man scales the city of the mighty and brings down the stronghold in which they trust. He who guards his mouth and his tongue guards his soul from troubles. Proud, haughty, scoffer are his names who acts with, who acts with insolent pride. The desire of the sluggard puts him to death, for his hands refuse to work. All day long he is craving, while the righteous gives and does not hold back. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination. How much more when he brings it with evil intent? A false witness will perish, but the man who listens to the truth will speak forever. A wicked man displays a bold face, but as for the upright, he makes his way sure. There is no wisdom and no understanding and no counsel against the Lord. 
The horse is prepared for the day of battle, but victory belongs to the Lord. And our little note down here, do not fight against the Lord, and if you want victory, do not fight without him. So, uh, may God's blessing be upon our scripture on this fine day. So, good luck everybody. I'm rooting for you. Uh, I'm going to keep my fingers crossed here that all goes well. I don't want anything left through it all the way. So, I'm going to ride out this week. I'm going to get back to the homestead. Take off for uh, New Hampshire. I'm going to ride that out. Say no to the brother. Let him know that my dad's more important. And then after that, I'm, I'm looking at like 10 days. And uh, I don't want to look any farther than that. So, uh, much love, everybody. Remember to find satisfaction in the struggle and peace in the moment. We'll see you next time. Thank you.